0: Hello. As a loyal listener of the show, we'd like to reward you with the greatest gift imaginable, free beer. Thanks to our friends at beer52.com, you have the opportunity to get eight exclusive craft beers from around the world for free. All you need to do is go to www.beer52.com slash party. That's B-W-E-R, the number five, the number two slash party. I'm sure you'll have figured it out, but it's best to be clear. And cover just £4.95 for the postage. On top of that, political party listeners get two extra free beers, so that's a total of ten free beers. Beer 52 are beer pioneers. They traverse the globe to find the best and most interesting beer from the greatest small-batch breweries the earth has to offer, and they are the world's most popular craft beer discovery club. Each month, Beer 52 deliver you a case with a different theme – previous themes have included germany korea norway south africa california finland and many more but they haven't forgotten their roots as an independent uk company beer 52 are also passionate about the uk craft beer scene the beauty of beer 52 is that they don't hold you to ransom there's no lock-in and you can leave at any time your first box will be sent to you the very next day as well as the best, most interesting beer money can buy Your case also includes the award-winning craft beer magazine Ferment Which explains the theme of the box and the individual beers Plus you also receive a tasty snack just to top it all off The box I got has been a godsend to me these last couple of weeks Some of the beers are incredible They sent me one called the Stay Puffed Marshmallow Porter Which was unlike anything I'd ever tasted And a Mango IPA I mean, I've never, tried, I've never tried beer like it. Um, and it, it, you can tailor it to your taste, basically. If you don't like dark beers, you choose the light plan. And obviously, if you like light like beers, you choose the light one. It's so easy, even I figured it out. Just go to www.beer52.com slash party to get your first case of eight beers for free. And don't forget, political party customers get an extra two unmissable beers for free. That's beer 52com slash party. Hello and welcome to the political party. I hope wherever you are, whatever you're doing, you're managing to stay as positive as you can at this time. Don't forget for the latest government advice on coronavirus, go to the website gov.uk slash coronavirus. Today's guest is Ewan McComb, one of Scotland's finest political columnists, and he's here to discuss the Alex Salmond trial. More to the point, the political implications of the trial and indeed the verdict. Salmond was acquitted of all 14 charges that he faced, 12 on which he was found not guilty. One of the charges was withdrawn and one of them uh, he was found not guilty. But Ewan, who's a fantastic political writer, analyses the ramifications for Salmond personally, for Nicola Sturgeon, for the party and for the wider Scottish independence movement and discusses some of the suggestions from uh, Salmon supporters that there has been a conspiracy or a plot against him. Uh, I began by asking Ewan whether he thought that the trial and the verdict was the end of the matter.
1: You no, know, it's well, very far from the, from the end of the matter. Um, Alex Salmon, when he was acquitted, came out of the High Court in Edinburgh and made it clear that as far as he's concerned, uh, there's unfinished business here. So... There's a it's a it's a really unusual situation. A trial like this you would expect, um, regardless of the result that those involved would just, you know, get on with their lives, try to put this behind them. Um, but Alex Salmond is uh, adamant that he's been the victim of a, a monstrous conspiracy and uh, and that he must uh, and they must have his day. Um, and he's and he's got a lot of supporters. Alex Salmond's a it's a funny character. He is really divisive, sort of divisive, sort of Farage-like level of divisiveness. Yes. People either love or really dislike him, and uh, so he's got a lot of people out there in Scotland, a lot of uh, Scottish nationalists, independence pro-independence campaigners, who see him as the great hero of their movement, and uh, a lot of those people are now rallying behind him. And it's become thoroughly unpleasant. So on social media, we have people uh, talking about the need to identify the complainers in the case. What? Um, yeah, it's absolutely outrageous. These are uh, these women who, you know, quite rightly um, are anonymous and will remain anonymous uh, and should remain anonymous. You have uh, people now saying, "Well, this can't go on." Uh, people alleging that there's a conspiracy and they must be identified. Uh, right, let's, let's think
0: just d- deal with some of these things in turn. First right. firstly, on the conspiracy theory. What? Mm. Who is involved in the conspiracy? Who does Salmon right. who do his allies think? Well is, let's is start behind with
1: why this? let's well let's start with why there has to be a conspiracy. Because so the conspiracy starts with the notion that Alex Salmond had to be brought down. Now this is Alex Salmond who lost his seat in twenty seventeen to the Conservative Party. And Alex Salmond, who subsequently uh, went into the employ of RT, formerly Russia Today, the Kremlin's propaganda channel. Alex Salmond has been, had been brought down first by the Conservatives and then by his own decision to hook up with RT. Yeah. But anyway, uh, but apparently, uh, Alex Salmond is uh, such a significant figure that his career had to be ended. Now, Okay, let's say there's a conspiracy to bring. Who would be behind that conspiracy? Well, you would think if Alex Salmon was such a, an important figure to the independence movement, the conspiracy then must involve the British state, the British establishment, and all these kind of specters. But it doesn't uh, because, uh, as far as Salmon's acolytes are concerned, this is a conspiracy of people who were formerly close to Alex Salmon, so people who are close to Nicola Sturgeon, the present First Minister, Mr Salmon's successor, as SNP leader. Uh, and they've just, and so Salmon's supporters have decided that it was these people who decided that somehow he had to be uh, prevented from returning to frontline politics. So it's quite a theory the people who had stood shoulder to shoulder uh, with Mr. Salmon during the independence referendum in 2014 would, a few years later, decide to organize a monstrous conspiracy to end a political career which was, to all intents and purposes, already dead and buried. And and, there you
0: and, go. And Nicholas Sturgeon and Alex Salmon had been so linked, <laughs> such close allies for so long, so visibly together. That, that, I mean, are they alleging that Nicola Sturgeon herself is involved in this conspiracy?
1: Well, that's the, that's the implication. That's the implication. Now, Nicola Sturgeon and Alex Salmon's relationship is an interesting one. It's, uh, they've always been politically close. They've always, they had always worked closely together. I'm not sure that they were personally as close as people might have thought. They're very different characters. They're from very different... Generations; they have very diffi- different social outlooks, so they're not—they were never great mates. Um, but they recognised in each other political talent, and they recognised that by working together they could probably best advance their cause. But um, for the idea that Nicola Sturgeon's uh, uh, motivated by some desire to bring down Alex Salmond seems to me fanciful at best. Particularly, so this he- is further complicated by the fact that. Before Mr Salmond was charged, uh, there was an investigation carried out uh, by the Scottish Government after some allegations were made about his behaviour by Scottish Government employees. And Mr Salmond last year challenged the fairness of that process at the court of session in Edinburgh. And he won that case. The Scottish Government ended up having to pay him uh, more than half a million pounds in legal costs. Um, so, he had pre- so he has already, if you like, won a victory against uh, the Scottish government saying that its internal investigation into him was unfair. Um, so that adds to this. That, that, that court verdict last year in the civil action adds, I think, uh, to this notion that there's something uh, something untoward going on.
0: And is he talking about further action
1: well he's not talking about anything personally at the moment he came out of court and he made his statement and then uh, said that uh, uh, there, were, there was evidence that he would like to bring forward in the fullness of time it would come forward but uh, for the time being coronavirus was uh, the most important issue and so for the time being he has He's a bit of a ticking time bomb for Nicola Sturgeon. So she is at the moment uh, leading the Scottish Government's uh, response to the coronavirus crisis. That's a fairly uh, serious task that she's got. Uh, and while that's happening, uh, Mr. Salmond is biding his time. And it uh, must be very unsettling for Nicola Sturgeon. She's worked long enough with him closely enough with them to know that he's. Uh, He's a man with quite a temper and a long memory. But
0: he's someone whose whole political life has been about delivering in independent Scotland and under its most popular leader, With it looks like if um, when the local elections go ahead, the SNP are going to have another record result. They're by far the most popular party in Scotland. Nicola Sturgeon, by far the most popular politician in Scotland. At this point of maximum opportunity, he's prepared to engage upon a course that potentially threatens not just the people that he thinks are conspiring or have conspired against him, but the whole cause that he spent his whole life campaigning for.
1: Well, two things there. Uh, first, uh, people who support Alex Salmond think that he is, that he remains the best uh, chance for Scottish independence. Uh, the fact that he led them to defeat in 2014 is neither here nor there. The hard core of his support. Still, you know, they would have him back in a minute. Um, and they would follow whatever strategy he outlined. So, Mr. Sammis and his supporters might not necessarily think that uh, by doing what they're planning to do, that they're going to be undermining a winning strategy. Uh, the uh, just on that, they, how many,
0: they, how much of a proportion of say the yes movement of, of yes, you know, the supporters are, are of that mind?
1: Well, it's difficult to know, but what we do know is that. Some fairly influential figures in the Yes movement are on Mr. Salmon's side here. Um, the verdict was greeted um, with delight by you know, Joanna Cherry, the MP, who's uh, a great uh, ally of Mr. Salmon's and who has uh, ambitions to come to Hollywood uh, in next year's Scottish parliamentary elections. Um, and it's seen by some as a potential challenger to Nicola Sturgeon for the party leadership in the future. So you've got figures like Joanna Cherry, you've got Kenny McCaskill, who was formerly uh, Justice Secretary in the Scottish Government, and is now a Westminster MP again. He's on Salmon's side. So you've got these figures. You've got some commentators as well who are giving some credence to the idea of there being a conspiracy. So um, whether the movement, how, you know, what, how many people in the movement... Uh, as a proportion are are behind this, I don't know. What I do know is that some influential voices in the movement are going to be uh, um, are going to be Mister Salmon's lanes uh, in the near future.
0: I interrupted you as you were saying there were two things that came out of that after the first thing. I, and I, I, yeah, yeah awful, and the, well, I'm not the, sure you remember uh, the second. Now, no, I do
1: remember. And the, the other thing to bear in mind is, and you you know, you've met a lot of politicians. And the other thing to bear in mind is is, is how ego factors into all this? Yeah. So yeah, this might be uh, this might not be in the best interest. You know, a battle, an internal war in the SNP might not be in the best interests of the independence movement. I think that's probably a reasonable analysis. But um, Alex Salmond is a man who wants to be proved right. Um, he's a man that's got, to say he's got a long memory. Um, it was interesting. One of his. Uh, Former advisors, Alec Bell, who ended up being a, a witness for the defence, uh, wrote an interesting piece last week with a real kind of insight into Salmon's character, and it was about that desire to win uh, above all else. So that factors into into this, you know, whether Mister Salmon will have uh, will be prioritising the knock-on effect of the independence on the independence movement of a, of a battle to. Uh, uh, restore his good name as he sees it um, I doubt
0: But that his allies would prioritise that over say gaining an independent Scotland that they would see well, the cause of Alex Salmon's reputation as superior to that seems weird to so many people
1: But, that's, but that goes back to you know the, the, there are those who just see in him this great leader and the, the, whatever he says they will follow um, and that's not that's not unusual in politics, you know. No, it's not a problem exclusive, you know. It's, you know, I mean, if you, you, there are plenty, there are plenty members of the Labour Party just now that will tell you what, we, what, what, what the party needs to do is is get Corbyn back in charge and give him another. Give him another crack at it. So, you know, p- politics is full of people that don't really understand politics.
0: <laughs> well, that's, that's very true. <laughs> um, um, there was something else you said near the start that, that really, the most troubling thing you said was about the tone becoming ugly around trying to identify the people who'd accused Salmon.
1: Yeah, there's a really... So, you know, for, so Salmon's, uh, Salmon's defence uh, was, was a mixture of... These were um, incidents which were blown out of proportion, uh, which weren't how they were being characterized and uh, some other fabrications uh, for, uh, for political reasons. And that wasn't really a line that was developed much in court. but that's obviously what uh, um, we think Mr. Salmon is talking about when he talks about evidence that he, he wants to bring forward. In the future, so you've got a situation there where people are some supporters are are buying into this idea of a of a conspiracy. Um, you know, this is he is appealing to the sort of people who, you know, twenty fourteen believed in secret oil fields and every conspiracy under the sun during the independence referendum campaign, will quite happily buy into a conspiracy that Alex Salmond uh, was uh, uh, was the victim of some plot and. Uh, so now so you've got people talking about the complainers in this case uh, as conspirators. But and are these, so are these these, are these, these women screen... are being characterised. These women they... are being characterised as as conspirators uh, on social media, and they, and some bloggers are sailing really close to the wind, uh, making it clear that they know the identities of uh, of these women, uh, and suggesting that it's in the interest of justice. That everyone should know their identities. Uh, so these are the,
0: the, these aren't just sort of anonymous trolls. There are people who are prominent and who have platforms that are spreading this stuff.
1: No, absolutely, absolutely. There are you know there are bloggers. You know, particularly keen to amplify their views, but they're out there if you want to look. Uh, but you don't yeah. know there are people who are uh, who are peddling this narrative of a of a monstrous conspiracy, and that means that. You know, the complainers must be conspirators. They must have. They must be plotters. Therefore, why should they enjoy the protection of anonymity? I mean, you, I think there's, this is not going to. If anyone, don't get me wrong, this is this isn't for a minute to suggest that these women will be legally identified by anyone. Anyone who identifies these women can expect to uh, be in serious trouble with the police and the crown office.
0: But f- for those. Women that are reading this stuff, they will be scared that they're going to be identified. It's
1: awful. It's awful. It's it's really awful. There's grinding, this day in day out, um, this really uh, some really disgusting uh, comments about these women. But it's not, and it's not just, it's not just these women. It's uh, any woman who's uh, uh, you might be thinking about speaking up about something that's happened to her. We're looking at this and thinking, "Good God!" And is, you know the blowback, and this is unbearable.
0: And w- in terms of the atmosphere, then are, are people standing up to this nonsense? And 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 are, are people within the SNP challenging these narratives?
1: You know, one or two. I saw Stuart McDonald the MP, um, who's a, a bright young man, uh, had said something about it, uh, and I saw that. Uh, Susan Aitken, who's the SNP leader of Glasgow City Council, had made a point of tweeting support and encouraging donations to Rape Crisis Scotland. Uh, a real stomach-churning uh, moment last week was when, uh, when it was announced uh, that Rape Crisis Scotland was to get some extra funding from the Scottish Government. Um, and that's because, uh, you know, uh, the uh, increased workloads caused by... Uh, vulnerable women being locked down with abusive partners, and yeah. and all the kind of knock-on effect. of this. Anyway, the sort of response from a lot of salmon supporters was that Rape Crisis Scotland was being rewarded for its role uh, in commenting about the about the the impact of the salmon case. So it's really that was a real stomach-turning one. You people who were uh, peddling this uh, this lie that Rape Crisis Scotland was being Rewarded for its part in this conspiracy.
0: I mean, the, the, damage, the, extraordinary. This, the damage this does not just to the, the individuals who had the courage to come forward, but as you say, to anyone else who might come forward in, in other cases, but just the damage as well to the tone of public debate in, in, in Scotland and, and, and to the, also to, to, the, to the. There's a reputational risk here, surely, to the party.
1: you would think you would think. At the moment, the, the SNP is, is fortunate at the moment in Scotland that the country remains broadly divided on the constitutional question. Uh, it's Until coronavirus came along, it's pretty much all we were talking about and all we had been talking about for years. And so no matter what goes, uh, no matter what maybe goes wrong under the leadership of the SNP, they remain the only major pro independence party and so they can make a lot of mistakes before they lose votes i think we've seen that in recent years they've had a, you know the record on education the record on the nhs these have been real big problem areas where they failed to meet promises uh, time again and it's had no impact whatsoever on their uh, on their electoral success you know they remain the the choice the first preference for uh, just under half of Scots. So uh, I'm not sure how serious that reputational damage will be. Um, they may lose some votes, but I wouldn't expect the SNP not to win next year's Hollywood election.
0: So it might perhaps damage the, the fate of uh, any independence referendum, but it, but it might not damage the party yeah,
1: in, a, a, in a way some, that I mean, prevents they,
0: them being the government of Scotland.
1: Well, that's right. Um but, you know, coronavirus has kind of got in the way of the referendum plans anyway. You know, Nicola Sturgeon, until this until coronavirus came along, Nicola Sturgeon had been playing this kind of maybe's I, maybe's no uh, game on a second independence referendum. And that was really about kind of keeping her uh, supporters on side. Because she doesn't actually have the authority to, to hold the referendum. The power to grant that remains with Westminster. And so, she was kind of playing this game of you know, dangling the prospect of a referendum, uh, but that's all over and done with now. And who knows for how long? You know, I have speaking to uh, contacts of mine in the SNP at the weekend and I'm kind of saying to them, you know, do you reckon you might have a another go next year? And they're kind of mm, probably not, actually. You know, at the moment, uh, everyone's minds are concentrated, or well, the serious people's minds are concentrated on you know, getting through this and the longer term uh, implications of this. Uh, of this crisis.
0: And, and Salmond will wait surely until this crisis has passed because he will want <laughs> to inflict maximum damage on the people that he thinks have conspired or that he's claiming have conspired against him.
1: Absolutely, why wouldn't he? Why, why would he step forward now and be drowned out? Uh, say that a friend of mine made the point last week though that uh, news is interesting because it's new and uh, the longer... Alex weights the less impact. What he says may have. Uh, so, yeah, he's got something. Uh, he's got something lined up. But you know, maybe, maybe by the time he comes round to to talking about it, um, we'll have other things on our plates, other things to think about.
0: He, he, as you said earlier, alluded on, on the steps of the court afterwards to, to other evidence that he said would would some you know would would see the light one day or, or words to that effect. What's
1: he talking yeah. about? Well, this is this idea. This is all about this idea of the uh, you know witnesses, complainers. Uh, sorry, you know, working in concert. I think the idea is that, that these these women were in contact with each other, or some of them were, that there's something untoward there. Uh, and he wants to talk about uh, about those relationships uh, and the relationships between complainers and other figures in the SNP, and it's it's uh, but it's difficult to know exactly what he's going to do because uh, it's a real legal minefield. So at the heart of this, fundamentally, these women's uh, the anonymity of these women is protected in law, and nothing is going to change that.
0: There's another twist to this, which is his QC, Gordon Jackson, who's a former Labour politician, was just incredibly talking on a Scotrail train from Glasgow to Edinburgh, openly on a phone, out loud. I mean, the judgment of of some of these individuals is is really astounding. It's remarkable. And he says that someone was inappropriate, an arsehole, a bully, stupid, an objectionable bully to work with. He then goes on to say about one of the uh, complainers that all we need to do is put a smell on her. I mean, quite apart from the things he said, let's just deal with Gordon Jackson's political judgment to just be talking loudly on a train about this stuff.
1: Well, his his judgment is clearly clearly wonky. I have to say, depressing as it was to hear, were you really surprised? I mean, Mm. of course, that's what happens. That's what happens in these... Cases, you know, this is this is one of the bleak. This is one of the reasons that one of the many reasons that so many people don't don't make complaints because it's all about their the characters being tarnished, someone putting a smell on them, as he said. So it was really grim. It wasn't entirely surprising that that's how a defence QC might be thinking. A Gordon Jackson is the is the Dean of the Faculty of Advocates. So he's referred himself to the Scottish Law Complaints Commission uh, for investigation. What it will then do is, if it believes that there is something worth investigation, we'll pass that on to the Faculty of Advocates, of which Gordon Jackson is Dean. You know what? I, I don't want to sound like a conspiracy theorist, um, but anyway, there's the kind of cozy little back. So that's how that's going to... Oh, my God. That's, gonna, that, that's how that's going to... Play out um,
0: as well as perhaps. Gordon he's... Jackson
1: was uh, Gordon Jackson. A funny character. The Gordon Jacksons uh, was, a, was a Labour MSP, and he yeah. lost his seat to Nicholas Sturgeon. Um, he was the Labour MSP for Govan. Um, I remember, and uh, he was expected to lose his seat to her in 2004. And actually, he went on holiday during the campaign, and still, either. And I remember speaking to him. Shortly afterwards, and he, he asked me what he had to do to lose government. So, um,
0: well, he, he soon found an, out. He's an
1: old sp- well, he did, he did, but he was an old sparring partner of Nicola Sturgeon's old political sparring partner. And
0: just in terms of his comments on the train, he said these things about Salmond, he um, said he needs to put a smell on um, one of the complainers. He also apparently, uh, according to, to the video that circulated on social media, identifies two of the complainers by yeah. name.
1: I mean, does uh, that? Which is a
0: what uh, are the legal implications for that?
1: Well, I'm not sure that there are any. It would appear that uh, actually the court order is about publication.
0: So okay, so what broadcasting
1: restriction? Well, but that's he's not broadcast mean unless that would be. I think the argument is. And I understand that people have spoken to the Crowd Office about this, but the position is that uh discussing the names is not the same as publishing them. Uh, and that would seem probably to be right. If the if the if the reporting restrictions are specifically about publication of these names, which would be in print or online, then I don't think although it's I think you know, perhaps this professional body might have a, a view about the professionalism of that. I don't think it's an illegal act. I don't think that constitutes a contempt. It's contemptible behaviour, but I don't think it's... A, I don't think Gordon Jackson's going to have a specific legal problem on naming these women on the train because he didn't, as I say, he didn't publish them. And the reporting restriction is quite specific on that. That doesn't take away from the fact that it's an appalling thing to do. Uh, and any of the women involved, and any women thinking about uh, speaking up uh, about their own experiences, you know, looking at that must be, must be horrified. But for those, but we are. But so anyone must be horrified. I mean, you'd have to be. There'd be something really wrong with you if you weren't horrified uh, at what Golden Jackson said on that train. Yes,
0: uh, but also horrified at reading the accounts that uh, that these women gave to the court, which are. Just stomach churning, and for those that worked with him, that were part of the cause—I mean, it must just be the courage it took to come forward, particularly when it's someone who's on your own side—really shouldn't be underestimated.
1: Absolutely, absolutely, and you know what? I think what these what these women feared is what has happened. Is it not only? Um, is the jury not convicted? But the, in the aftermath uh, it's their characters that are now being that are now being picked apart. Uh, They're the, you know, the other ones who are now being intimidated by people online talking about identifying them, talking about there needing to be a, a reckoning. Uh, so you know, it must be it must be awful for them. I
0: mean, some of the language uh, Joanna Cherry has said um, there are serious question marks about how these complaints were handled by the SNP. There should be an independent an independent inquiry into how the SNP dealt with these allegations, and an inquiry into our internal complaints procedure with which many members have expressed significant dissatisfaction. I mean, this is war.
1: And that is war, and that's uh, so. so the, and so here, there's two things. There's, so there's on the face of it, what's happening there? Well, there was a. There, was a, there were complaints. The SNP was made aware of them uh, at the time of the Scottish Government investigation. She's perfectly entitled to suggest that that should be looked at. But then there's the fact that the chief executive of the SNP is Peter Murrell, who's the husband of Nicola Sturgeon. Mm. And so uh, if I was Peter Murrell or Nicola Sturgeon, I might detect a hint of menace. In Alex Salmond ally Joanna Cherry's words
0: Kenny McCaskill said there need to be resignations within the SNP, a few have acted despicably um, to whom do these individuals work and for what purpose are they acting, they cannot remain a reckoning there will be I mean this is this is kind of Old Testament level
1: Oh stuff. absolutely, absolutely and uh, you know Kenny McCaskill's an old uh, Scottish independence fundamentalist uh, who kind of moved to the it moved to the gradualist wing uh, once the party got into power. But, um, but you know, fundamentally, Kenny McCaskill would live in a cave to be free. Um, and so, uh, you know, you write that Old Testament stuff, uh, it's never far below the surface.
0: Angus McNeil, um who, who has appeared regularly on Alex Salmon's RT show, uh, says that, glad that Alex Salmon found not guilty, a man with much more to contribute to Scotland's cause. I mean... Is, are people just flying kites here? Or, or do some of them, do you think, genuinely believe that Salmond could return as a politician and even return as leader of the party?
1: Well, you've got two. I think you've got people who are stupid enough to think that, that he could actually come back. And, uh, you know, maybe may be the... I was wondering, you know, there was 55-45 in 2014. And do these people think that there are 6% of no voters who are thinking? Do you know what? I'm starting to warm to that salmon guy. Um, so there may be people that yeah. are stupid enough to think that. But really, what uh, what's going on here is that people are uh, are having a go at sturgeon. These are digs at sturgeon. This is all very thinly veiled. You know that you know if who's Kenny McCaskill. Kenny McCaskill doesn't name anyone. But Who's he referring to? Who's organising this? All sort of the implication is. That uh, you know, some people in authority must be involved. Kenny McCaskill wouldn't be asking for a a, a purge of nobodies, uh, a clear of nobodies. So, and there's, uh, there's, those there's, people who are talking, you know, the, the, the there are some people who genuinely think Salmon could come back, but there are others for whom this is a a great way to to try to undermine Sturgeon and and, and Merle. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. plushcare.com slash weight loss
0: and is their motive in, in the kind of salmon Sturgeon split entirely personal and entirely out of loyalty to Alex Salmond or do they think well Nicholas had her go she, you know we should have had another referendum by now and they have perhaps a, a wider issue with the strategy for um, <sighs> delivering independence right. that Nicholas Sturgeon has
1: yeah, there's a real, there is a split. You know, the SNP is an interesting inter- SNP. I've been I'm, I've been writing about politics for more than quarter of a century now, and the SNP. One thing you could always be sure of with the SNP was that it would, at any one time, be hopelessly split. Uh, it was it, 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 throughout the nineties. There was a, there was the, the gradualists and the fundamentalists, and the yeah. fundamentalists were all interfaces with ward. You know, um they they'll never take our freedom. Uh and that was their thing. It was a real brave heart kind of fantasy. And you would go to SNP party conferences and it would be odd little men with co-op bags full of homemade tablet for the raffle and uh, and they would have the saltire hats and their saltire bow ties on and they were kind of eccentric characters, and then you'd have the gradualists who were the sort of uh, the SNP's is kind of third-way people. They're yeah. centrist, uh, steady, easy as you, as you go. And that was Salmond and people who got behind him. And uh, When Salmond came back into the into leadership of the SNP in 2004, all of a sudden, all of the fundamentalists got in line. It was the most remarkable thing. He came back and he stamped his authority in the party in a way that he had been unable to during his first spell as leader. And that few leaders you know, maybe Blair and his heyday uh, are able to do. Uh, and so the SNP, uh, having been one of the most hopelessly split parties in British politics for decades, in 2004 suddenly became incredibly united. You know, dissent just became so rare. Uh, all of the candidates sort of signed a loyalty pledge so that they wouldn't speak out or... Criticise anything, criticise yeah. any, uh, any colleagues, any policy. So you suddenly had this really disciplined, tight unit, and uh, that's no longer there. You know, so Sturgeon took over in twenty fourteen, and at that point there would be generally there was a cons- you know there was a consensus in the party that it was her time, but there were others who thought, well, but I wouldn't find a go to you know. Um, but there were others of that time that thought they were maybe ready um, or weren't far off it.
0: Well, that's and it. So they, it was they're the not idea. immune you, to the other, other pressures that other political dilemma. parties have.
1: No, no. This is, you've got a lot of ambitious people. She's been first minister leader of the party and first minister now for six years. Of course, there are going to be people who think that she's got it wrong, people that think she's missed opportunities. Or people that think she should have tried to call another referendum in 2016. She should have done it every year they, there have been people uh, demanding that she call this referendum, even though the polls keep telling them that to do so would be a mistake. So yeah, there are people who just think it's uh, the Sturgeon project's had its day.
0: On the on the loyalty of of the party for a while, it was kind of transfixing how unified and how um, how impressive that was in a way. I mean, it, it it was kind of weird that a party wasn't accepting that it had wings or any dissent. But for a while, it really worked for them and arguably it kind of still is holding to an extent. Do you think actually political parties, in terms of how they manage dissent and the different wings, need to allow some valves because otherwise those things build and build and build and then perhaps over an issue like this, perhaps over something else. Once that discipline is broken, you then get this sort of pitch invasion where all these years of pent up um, frustration at not being able to criticise anything open these floodgates.
1: Well, possibly, and we'll find out soon enough whether that's what's the mistake that that the SNP has made. We'll find out um, in the weeks or the months ahead uh, when this row starts to rumble up to the surface again, the way, and things get bloodier. Um, but honestly, don't you think most most politicians we know would would take you know super tight discipline over anything else? Absolutely, they? <laughs> you know, and they would. And they would worry about the risks, you know, second. But first and foremost, I mean, I imagine, imagine you know, for 15 years having a rock-solid team where no one stepped out of line. I mean, that's a, that's a political party dream, isn't it? it that's is, a yeah. scream, you know. And to do that and to, under in a democracy, well, that's, that's quite a trick, you know. Do that in a dictatorship, yeah, we can all do that, you know. But uh, <laughs> to do that in a democracy is pretty impressive, so... Uh, but you know, 15 years, 16 years of of discipline is pretty good going. If that's starting to fracture, then you know that's hardly that's hardly surprising. That's the tides, isn't it? That's the tides of politics, ebbing and flowing.
0: Uh, th- there's a proxy for this on the horizon. The, the selection for Edinburgh South in the in the Scottish Parliament. Edinburgh Central. Which, Edinburgh Central, sorry, which will be fought out. It seems between uh, Joanna Cherry. On the Salmon side and Angus Robertson on, on the Sturgeon side. Just before we come on to that, with the Sturgeon-Salmon divide, it, is it purely um, personality and, and uh, uh, you know the, the, the loyalty to those two people individually or is Salmon's politics distinct from Sturgeon's in any way? Is there a left-right split? Is there a gradualist fundamentalist split? The
1: politics are, and, you know, was, do you remember, I mean you know, we're both old enough to remember you know when the uh, when Brown uh, replaced Blair, yeah, and there was this sort of there were swathes of people in the Labour Party he said it's all going to be different now. And He said, "Well, why? Because the other guy who designed this is taking over. Why would it be different? You know, they kind of he's are the co-architects of the project." And so, the, but there was this crazy sort of delusion among uh, Brown supporters that he somehow represented a different kind of politics. Well, you know, actually, Sturgeon and Salmon represent a fairly similar kind of politics and it's every bit is about triangulation as new Labour's ever was you know, the party uh, won the 2007 hollywood election by rowing right back on independence and by saying let us come in and run a competent devolved administration vote for the snp not because you want independence it doesn't it doesn't mean independence but because you want a you want competence and you want a a, a fresh optimistic new government and people bought into that. People bought into the idea that um, you could vote SNP, and it didn't necessarily mean that you're in favour of independence. And support for the union remained sort of two thirds. At the same time as the SNP governed at uh, at Holyrood, you know, the SNP got in two thousand and seven. In two thousand and eleven, uh, when they won their overall majority, they're victory in the first overall majority at Holyrood. Uh, even then, the you know, support for independence was still around about a third or less than it was in the high twenties. So Nicholas Sturgeon and Alex Salmond have got the same kind of thing. It's a sort of centrist, cautious political uh, strategy, which is about trying to bring on board people who were made twitchy by the brave hearts. So it's not made uneasy it's, it, by it, them.
0: It's not that one is more left wing or right wing or, or more no. gradualist and fundamentalist. This is a this is a fallout, and people have picked sides.
1: Yeah. Well I think that, you know the fallout here is is about personalities. It's about Alex Salmond's it's about Alex Salmon's ego as well, isn't it? And it's about uh people who believe that, you know, Alex Salmond is the uh, is the great hero of the independence movement and still has much to give it. Uh aligned with some people who think that Nicholas Sturgeon's uh you know had her had her kick of the ball and it's someone else's turn. So this kind of a combination of factors and these, this alliance of, of people driven by different things is going to make life really difficult for the First Minister.
0: So the, the Edinburgh Central uh, uh, yes. <laughs> contest between Joanna Cherry, who is uh, Lord Salmond, and Angus Robertson, who is Lord Nicola Sturgeon, two hugely impressive political figures, two very capable uh, big beasts slugging it out for Edinburgh Central. I mean, do you have any sense of which way it will go?
1: I suspect that smart money would still is still on Angus Robertson. Um, I think he's been working the constituency for longer. Um, it's, uh, the constituency is currently held by um, Ruth Davidson, uh, the Scottish Conservative, well, the former Scottish Conservative leader. Uh, and she's a very slender majority there and it's eminently winnable for the SNP. But it's a small-c conservative constituency, uh, and I think that uh, temperamentally Angus Robertson uh, may be a more appealing candidate for the, for the electorate in Edinburgh Central. And Ed. So I think that's the way uh, anyone who has any influence in the SNP sees it at the moment. Uh,
0: and how much of a bellwether for wider SNP opinion would be uh, the Edinburgh Central uh, SNP local party would that represent perhaps uh, uh, the wider view of of the party across?
1: No, the... I think it would rec- it would represent a fairly cautious sort of, as I say, like small C Conservative, or certainly a a party that understands a constituency party that understands that actually there is there exists such a thing as Middle Scotland. Yes, <laughs> uh, you know we can have an odd notion up here sometimes that Middle England is something kind of unique. Um, we have the, exactly the same. We have the, exactly the same demographic here, and so I suspect that Angus Robertson would be uh, a more appealing candidate. You know, Joanna Cherry's a, um, quite a firebrand character, um, and she divides opinion in the SNP. There are people who um, there are people who she's got great supporters. I'm reminded of a conversation I had. Uh, Years ago, with the late Margot MacDonald, who was uh, a great kind of uh, SNP, a towering figure in the SNP, eventually um, uh, fell out with a party and became an independent MSP. And she was a marvellous woman, a sort of grand dame of Scottish politics. I had lunch with her one day and we talked about uh, the fact that Alex Salmond was really adored by Some people and we came to the conclusion that he was adored by people who'd never had the misfortune of meeting him. And I think there's a bit about that. I think there's a bit of that. Some people think there's a little of that in Joanna Cherry, where she's quite a, you know, she knows how to cause a stir and she knows how to, um, you know, make a political argument for sure. But I think that uh, in terms of party members, people who work alongside her, she's she divides opinion.
0: And how ferocious uh, is that? Is that is that contest likely to get between the two of them?
1: Well, I think it, I think it, it it could get it could get plenty ferocious. There's already been some some little digs uh, early on. Uh, we've had uh, I think Angus Robertson making the point that, that this constituency needs a a full time uh, MSP, uh, which is you know simply him playing Joanna Cherry's wanting to double job Um and then you've had uh, Joanna Cherry pointing out that she won her seat against the Conservative fight back in 2016, which is what she's really saying is that Angus Robertson lost his seat to the Tories in 2017. So it's kind of, it's pretty snippy at the moment, Um, but it stands to get more unpleasant.
0: And what are relations like between Joanna Cherry and Angus Robertson?
1: I don't think they're particularly great. I don't think they're particularly close. I don't think they know each other terribly well um you know Angus was the uh, leader of the SNP group at uh, Westminster until he lost his seat in 2017 and so Joanna Cherry did work alongside him for, for a few years but uh, they're not they're not political kindred spirits um and she's from a new wave of um a new generation although she I mean she's I think she is actually slightly older than Angus but she's from a newer generation um, of SNP politicians, Angus has been in the party for a long time, uh, through good times and bad, and uh, Joanna Cherry's from that wave of SNP politicians who've only ever really known success.
0: And as with any political party that goes through that cycle, people that get on the escalator at different levels have different perceptions about how you win and how you gain power.
1: Absolutely, absolutely, because as, you know, as I say, Joanna Cherry's only ever known Success. Um, you know, Angus Robertson was there when the SNP were, you know, down a handful of seats uh, in Scotland, and uh, you know things were looking. You know, it's it's it is only it's only sixteen years since the SNP had you know the most catastrophic European parliamentary elections that you know that, that the former leader John Swinney had to step down. That's how bad things were. It was. You know, a leader had to fall on his sword sixteen years ago in the SNP. So Angus has been through all of that. Joanna Cherry and other and people of that of her political generation who's elected members haven't. So there's a different definitely that plays into how they think things should be done.
0: And the uh, the, I mean, the, the Holyrood elections are, are, are next year, twenty twenty one, but when is right, the Edinburgh yeah. when is the Edinburgh Central Selection meant to be done by?
1: Uh, well it's a sort of it's an ongoing process. I don't know what their deadline is, but the process has begun, you know, people have uh, uh, put forward their put their names they've thrown their names uh, into the ring I don't know how things are going to be timetables for these things I think are going to be affected by the coronavirus crisis so none of the uh, none of the constituency parties are going to be able to hold hustings and all of those so I think there's uh, I think there's going to be some changes to the timetable for this I'm not sure exactly uh, how that will shape up
0: And obviously, everything is happening against this backdrop of coronavirus. It's been quite nice to talk about politics at length without having to mention it yet. But um, you know, it's it's affecting everything. Uh, We talk a lot, obviously, here. I'm London based and consume politics on a on a UK level about how the Tories are handling things, Rishi Sunak's uh, economic package, and Boris Johnson and his competence or lack of it, and testing and all these issues. How is the virus? playing out in Scotland
1: politically? Well, Sturgeon's our best at a time like this, actually. This is where she's, I think she's very good. She's great presentationally, Sturgeon. She's a really reassuring presence and so I think she's been very good uh, in, in daily uh, briefings. Uh, I think also that <coughs> she and the Prime Minister, although they are far from politically close, uh, seem to you know, be able to to be managing a, a productive relationship. Which but actually kind mean, of a relief, isn't it? Because things can be, you know, that's, it can be so exhausting, that kind of sort of relentless uh, constitutional argument between these two figures to actually find them sort of in agreement uh, on issues is, it's actually quite a relief.
0: Well, I wonder if there are political implications of that, whether, um, and let's see how it pans out and whether people perceive that either government did a good or a bad job but whether these things are are profoundly unifying and not just in terms of taking a referendum off the table because of the fact it would be physically impossible but whether not just that delay but whether the, the emotional experience of this as an island has an effect on the politics of
1: Scotland. Well that's going to be that's that is going to be interesting to see there's also a really there's a practical thing here which the nationalists will be thinking about which is that they have all welcomed, you know, and there, are, and there are issues about you know there being some gaps, but they've all welcomed uh, Rishi Sunak's uh, announcements thus far. Mm. Um, and you know, it's, I spoke to a friend of mine, an SNP uh, politician, last week, uh, kind of gently chiding over this. How are you going to, you know, how are you going to come back against this? And he just really had this case like you know, hands up, this is proper, this is really significant stuff. You know, these are these are these measures are are really significant. They are gonna change and so and you've got people who you know, like that who gets up in the morning wants to know how he can attack and it's his, his duty and responsibility to attack can serve the government saying, I hold my hands up, what the Chancellor's done here is is genuinely significant. And that's got its own implications for the SNP and for the you kind know, constitutional question at the end of this. People say, Well, would we have been protected? You know, would we have avoided the worst of it? In the early days. Can you, you know the the early days of a of an independent Scotland. If something like this had happened in the early days of an independent Scotland, when the uh, when even the SNP admits that uh, uh, the deficit would rise considerably, then the long term implications would be even more catastrophic. So, um, who knows how that's going to how it's going to impact that argument? What about, what about be... the fortunes
0: of the Tory party specifically? Do, do you think it will, you know, Scotland's always been seen as kind of, well, I, I guess maybe the most anti-Tory part of the UK as a nation, um, whether that's necessarily historically true or not, but, but certainly in recent years, and, and that's something that the SNP themselves are quite keen to kind of sell as a positive. But do you think, and this is true obviously in all corners of the UK, that people might reappraise their, their view of the Tory party as, a, as, a, as, a, as the nasty party or as a heartless party that doesn't care about normal people. Is this going to see perhaps a fundamental change in the relationship between the voters of Scotland and their perceptions about the Tory party?
1: I'm not sure that there's much more for the Tories, much more ground for the Tories to make up. I think it's more I think what you are more likely to have is people having a, rethinking Scotland's place in the UK and the and the value of that you think the Tory Party under Ruth Davidson had a pretty remarkable kind of resurgence in Scotland in the last few years, um, and a lot of that, you know, we put down to the fact that Ruth Davidson was a charismatic uh, leader, a good campaigner. She represented something a bit fresh and different for the Conservatives. But you know, no one uh, in the Tory Party should be kidding themselves that another part of that is, was the fact that. They just were the smartest when it came to arguing in favour of the union. They kind of took hold of that message where labour should have, yeah. uh, and so the conservatives in Scotland became the uh, the home for the most the fifty-five, you know, the most committed. Well, uh, yeah, it's only the most committed of no voters, not not necessarily the fifty-five, uh, or they would be. Uh, in government, now, no, but no, in no, Scotland, no. but uh, yeah, but you know, but they, but they have over, they've, they've overtaken the Labour Party in terms of in terms of popularity. But I, of so think they may be in terms of electoral success of the Conservatives. You, they're probably round about their sort of ceiling at the Scottish Parliament. But what this, so whether this, I, I, I would be surprised if this suddenly uh, increased uh, pro-Tory sentiment. But there's certainly a, I think there's a. As an opportunity for unionist politicians to make the case that you know the treasury intervention was something that uh, that Scotland benefited from and that wouldn't have been and that the country wouldn't have benefited from had it been newly independent.
0: What then of the individuals? People say, oh, you know, Boris is kryptonite in Scotland. People can't stand him up there. It, it, are people warming to him throughout this crisis, or um, if not, who are the people that are cutting through? Perhaps at north of the border.
1: Well, I think. You know, among the people I speak to, Sunak, and that's an interesting one. You know, kind of so Rishi Sunak when he made his first uh, when he made his first statement, uh, I, the number of people I spoke to and who, who uh, from Labour and the SNP who thought, you know, who were saying, "Well, look, this is really significant. This is a you know fair play to him. We've got to support this." And yeah, you know, they were really they were really taken aback by it, uh, and then quickly they started to say, "Thank God, we've got Rishi Sunak." to protect us from Boris Johnson I, can, I say, well, <laughs> can, I, can I just can I just can I, can we just if you just hold on a minute guys five weeks ago you were saying look Boris Johnson's got the pet poodle Chancellor he wanted yeah <laughs> you know <laughs> he'll just do what he's told <laughs> and now this guy is saving so that's going kind to of quite an interesting I thought that was quite an interesting uh, example of you know kind of illustration of how people view Johnson you're know, like if you dislike him you're going to dislike him you're really going to put some effort into it yes. because you know i think we would have to those of us who sort of uh, those of us who thought that sunak was the was the was the poodle pet chancellor we can't then argue that sunak is not just you know not doing something to which uh, boris johnson is fully signed up so
0: yes and that would at a time like this that would be true of any chancellor and prime minister
1: absolutely yeah the idea Boris Johnson
0: didn't know or didn't agree with exactly, the package
1: exactly exactly it's not, yeah, but it's just you confirmation it's, it's, but we're so desperate you know desperate for our, for our bias to be confirmed so that oh, can that be the only the nice. only exactly so uh, the only so but anyway yeah uh, Rishi Sunak is the one that uh, people are uh, uh, people seem to be reacting well to. I have to say that, um, you know, among Sturgeon's opponents, I'm speaking to people who just think that she's doing a pretty good job yes. presentationally, um, that they're they're impressed. There was uh, you know, Anna Sarwar, who's a Labour MSP, who's yeah. the former deputy leader of Scottish Labour, uh, was formerly a Labour MP. Um, he, yesterday, put forward a proposal uh, for a committee, uh, a cross-party committee, uh, uh, involving the conveners of all of the, all the chair people of all the committees of the parliament to get together and to talk about uh, coronavirus and issues arising. And uh, the Scottish government uh, reaction yesterday was, well, yeah, we're in favour of that. That's it. So there's, you know, people I think are impressed that Surgeon has shown some willingness to cooperate. The last few years, the SNP have been very, uh, the SNP's always in a bit of a bunker mentality. When they were outsiders, they always felt that they were broken kind of them and us. And uh, and when they became the establishment, then they, they, they dug in hard uh, and and didn't let their opponents close. So it's quite interesting to see the SNP sort of thawing a little on that and seeing the benefit of. I mean, of course, there's there are two there are two benefits in working with your opponents. There's the the righteous and honourable one, which is that you. Uh, you 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 have the advantage of the expertise of others and that you can deal with in good faith, and then there's the politically useful one of uh, tying your opponents to whichever strategy you're following. Yes. So that when uh, so that when things go catastrophically wrong, <laughs> you can say, "Well, yeah, we were all in it together, were not we?" Guys? Yeah, it was all your idea. So, that's <laughs> all. <well. laughs> yeah, exactly. You know,
0: should never have listened so, to you in the uh, first place. Uh, Ewan, always a pleasure. Thank you so much uh, for for well, coming on, for having me. It's been
1: That's
0: a real treat. Hard, Thank you. Well, there you go, Ewan McComb. And it, it remains to be seen, obviously, what all the uh, implications of the verdict and the trial are. And at what time does Alex Salmond and his allies choose to make any sort of move or push? in any serious way for investigations or resignations or the sort of things that that his allies have been saying in public it remains to be seen and what the public appetite is or indeed the public attention is after a period like this that we've gone through as ewan says uh, may well itself uh, be a matter of debate you can email the show political party podcast at gmail.com always good to know where you listen lewis clare has been in touch That said, he's on the outskirts of Manchester while mucking out his hen houses. Uh, He's an organic farmer and spends a fair bit of time working alone. Well, Lewis, on behalf of us all, thank you very much for providing uh, so so much of the food that we eat and uh, for looking after those hens. And, um, yeah, hope you and the hens are well. But it's always nice to have an image of where people are. I tend to listen to podcasts when cooking, so I'll have them on in the kitchen on a Bluetooth speaker. Um, so I usually of course a lot of people listen on the commute but uh, there's less of that happening these days so maybe you're listening in a new place maybe you've got a new chair that you like to listen in or um wherever (laughs) email me on politicalpartypodcast at gmail.com and of course now that hopefully well I say hopefully maybe now that you may have a bit more time on your hands of course it could be the time to leave a glowing iTunes review that would help other people find this podcast wash your hands stay at least two metres apart shield and self isolate if necessary and I'll see you soon